0: Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by dinosaurs, they were wiped out by an asteroid and getting their revenge by turning into oil and slowly suffocating us to death. Huh, clever girl. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by All Is Not Okay in Oklahoma with Cinda Canning catch the series finale killer reveal party to the most listened podcast in middle America releasing this Thursday. Welcome everybody <laughs> to The Vessel. I am Wes. <laughs> and I'm Todd. And we're filmmakers. And for the record, I know that it's highly contested whether or not dinosaurs actually make up fossil fuels, uh, but it just doesn't read as well in my joke. So so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we are filmmakers. We like to analyze movies and figure out, what can we learn about the movie making process sometimes demystify it sometimes make it more convoluted. That's my yeah, goal. Yeah, every half the time. Yeah. <laughs> it is half the time. Uh, because you know what? There are a lot of layers that goes into every film. Um, I know we're going to talk about Jurassic park today. And I just, I did the thing I never do. I, I didn't do it for long. And which was, I watched some like behind the scenes stuff and it was just this clip. It's a six minute clip on the the Blu-ray special edition that is Spielberg sitting in a room with uh, his team discussing the dinosaurs, right? We're let's look at the, the Velociraptor. Here's how I think it should move. And he's talking about, you know, it's uh herky jerky and they find these spaces and they stop and he starts talking about, you know, at my house, we have all kinds of chickens and birds running around and I watch the way they move every day. You know, I just kind of study them and that's, the, the way they bob up or they find a moment, you know, and it's just, and he starts imitating it and he's like, Hey, so, you know, I would really like to, see, what do y'all think about this? This is what I'm really like. And then they cut to another moment in the, their meeting and he's talking about like the breathing and hey, here's how, you know, all this other stuff is just believability, like buy-in the scary stuff is the breath. You know, uh, let's let's figure out how to get, you know, can we get these animatronics to to breathe onto the glass? And we see it fog up, you know, and we can hear it every inhale, every exhale. And he he goes through just there's probably like seven or eight of these little moments where he's just discussing these little things. Right. Um, Some of them you don't even notice um, or you do, but it just feels so lived in. Like he talks about. Uh, hey, can we? And he pulls out this this model that they've been working on, and he's like, "I want to, I want their head to to turn around, um, like look, looking behind them. I don't want them to look behind them by like trekking around into a circle in order to see behind mm-hmm. them. Right? Their their neck should turn. And he starts contorting this like little doll head, and it doesn't look like it's meant to move that way. And I'm like, Is he gonna break this thing? And he. I think he has that same thought and he looks to his guys like, can I, can I do this? He's like, yeah, <laughs> go for it. And he like tw- yanks it around and suddenly you see what he's thinking um, because you have this dinosaur looking behind them and it's very threatening. Um, he's like, I think this is like exciting, right? This is going to be, you know, they hear something and they kind of even maybe duck down a little bit and then turn and, and you can see him acting out all of these physical aspects. Uh, And he's like, I think this creates embodiment, you know, uh, for the, for the dinosaur to live in. And that's just one character in one scene and every single, and if you watch something like this or any movie, um, that's really well made, especially with a lot of production value, you can see a thousand layers of thought that goes into it. This movie has three different types of Jeeps in it, (laughs) like, uh, and it's because they thought this Theme park would have the necessity of all these different types of jeeps. Um, there's the one that brings people in VIPs. There's the one that the the, the guests are in. Uh, if you look at the cage and just the opening sequence, the cage that's housing the raptor has all these design thoughts that clearly went into it. Of we need to be able to see it. We need to be able to interact with it, but it can't it can't get out. You know. Uh, and if you just study that, you can see that they probably spent a lot of time researching uh what exists and what would need to exist to house a raptor right yeah. uh and all those layers you know add up to something uh more than the sum of its parts right it becomes this kind of emergent idea that lives within a movie what's your experience do you feel like you know working on projects you just see all these little details that suddenly just get thought of through one person or another and everyone working together kind of creates something more than one person alone.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, as you're a director, you get it. There there has to be one singular voice, right? Mm. One vision. And then everyone else does their job to make that vision come to life, right? And so one of the, you know, I, I talk mass shit about um, uh, Spielberg because I, I just, yeah, uh, don't like his recent work, but look at this film and you see the genius of what this man of of, like he was put on this earth to make movies. Like, you know, because of stuff like that, everyone has tried to do dinosaurs since and no one has come close. Everyone has. I mean, it's been some of the same people working on the CG and it still doesn't come close. And why? Because of those things you just talked about, right? Because those things make it real. You can have an animatronic or, you know, uh, You can have an animatronic dinosaur that maybe even moves similarly, but the things that make it real on the screen are the breath are when you see its feet walking and it taps its, its claw. You know what I mean? It's like, Hey, look at this. Look at this. I'm fidgety. I'm ready to use this. Uh, It's real. You know, those kinds of things have to come from a singular source and for like a singular Source of knowledge and and direction and vision really is what it is. And so for him to, you know, decades ago to think to think and know this before anyone else had done, you know, dinosaurs this way is just brilliant. It's 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 what made this movie what it was. I mean, yes, the story is fantastic and everything. But unless you know that those dinosaurs are real and you feel it, the story doesn't really even matter so much. I mean, it does. It does. Uh, uh, it's very important. I'm not trying to diminish story, (laughs) but I just think if you don't buy into the dinosaurs, the story Mm -hmm. kind of falls flat because they've, they've had good stories. Well, they've had a lot of crappy ones, but they've had good stories since. But if you can't get the dinosaurs, right, it doesn't, it doesn't hold up. Right. So, yeah, I mean, this film, every single time I watch it, I stresses me out to the max. (laughs) Uh, before we get into it, let's, yeah. let's give a spoiler. So we've got, um, uh, so yeah, this week, we're, obviously we're doing Jurassic Park. So if you haven't seen it, crawl out from under your rock, go watch it. And, uh, cause we're going to spoil a bunch of stuff. Uh, and, and we don't want to ruin this experience for you. This one in particular.
0: For sure. Uh, we'll look at a handful of things. Uh, we'll look at some of the cinematography motivated camera moves. Uh, definitely want to look at story and writing some of the exposition, the dialogue cues, where the original succeeds and the sequels fail. I also want to look at one sequence uh, for the sound, the way they combined sound design with music to
1: heighten the moment uh, and other such stuff and things and stuff. And I don't know how to syn- <laughs> do a synopsis of this. Dinosaurs and whatnot, it's Jurassic Park, figure it out. That's brilliant. It's the best synopsis of any movie yeah. that we've ever done. I feel like if we could ever do one of those,
0: this would be the one.
1: Uh, yeah, it's Jurassic Park, figure it out. Uh, Directed by Steven Spielberg Screenplay by Michael Crichton And David Kep, Cinematography by Dean Cundy And it's featuring Sam Neill as Grant Laura Dern as Ellie Jeff Goldblum as Malcolm Richard Attenborough as John Hammond Joseph Mazzello as Tim Ariana Richards as Lex Samuel L. Jackson as Arnold And Wayne Knight as Dennis
2: Nedry Gee, the lack of humility Before nature that's being displayed here um, Staggers me Well, thank you, Dr. Malcolm, but I think things are a little bit different than you and I had feared. Yeah, I know. They're a lot worse. Now, wait a second. Now, we haven't even seen the part where Amy... meal. Donald, Don't don't let him talk. There's no reason. I I want to hear every viewpoint. I really do. Yeah, yeah. don't you see the danger, uh, John, inherent uh, in what you're doing here? Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a a kid that's found his dad's gun. It's hardly appropriate to start hurling generalizations. (laughs) If I may, um... I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're that you're using here. Uh, it didn't require any discipline to attain it. You know, you read what others had done and you and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves. so you don't take any responsibility. For it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could. And before you even knew what you had you, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox. And now you're selling it. You want to sell it well. I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Condors. Condors are on the verge of extinction. And if oh, I no. was to create, no, no, if I was to create a flock of condors on this island, you wouldn't have anything to say. No, hold on. This isn't. This is some species that was obliterated by deforestation, or, or the building of a dam. Dinosaurs uh, uh, had their shot and nature selected them for extinction. I simply don't understand this luddite attitude, especially from a scientist. I mean, how can we stand in the light of discovery and, and not act? Oh, what's so great about discovery? It's a violent, penetrative act that scars what it explores. What you call discovery, I call the rape of the natural world.
0: That, wow. that's it that's the movie wow. that is
1: that is the best dialogue in the entire movie <laughs> great choice there dang yeah I'm, I'm i'm
0: impressed i think for a number of reasons for one obviously it's it's laying out a really interesting ethical uh conundrum right uh if you're a scientist trying to discover something and uh the the whys and the hows uh can conflict right But I also appreciate that it's a, as a, you know, pretty, you know, uh, diehard libertarian, I still appreciate that I don't think, I don't hear this conversation as some kind of straw man. I see this as a pretty honest conversation between uh, an entrepreneur and a scientist. And the entrepreneur just does a terrible job of justifying, you know, his, his rationale. Right. Because the first thing he comes back with is, uh, well, if I brought condors, you wouldn't be upset. It's not what we're talking about.
1: Like that's like, yeah, that's your face. Yeah,
0: That's right. And so I just, I think it's a really fun dive into the ethics of, of everything that's being discussed. And Malcolm is just the perfect, you know, foil for, for Hammond to run up against because, you know, Malcolm doesn't really care. He seems like a, he doesn't really care about anything. He's over here hitting on Grant's, you know, girlfriend in yeah. front of him. And so he's just this kind of blunt, boisterous uh, jerk. And he's the one, and he's also like, knows what he's talking about. And so it's, yeah. it's frustrating to run up against someone who's both uh, an ass and right. <laughs> it makes it really yes. hard for you to back down from your position and seeing that. And then, of course, that that little moment is followed up with people you do want to hear from, <laughs> like Grant and Ellie, who are making a, a much softer, you know, eloquent, you know, discussion of, of the case of why Malcolm is actually on the right you know, track. And so I just think it's a really fun and really good conversation because it's digestible for kids and it's still meaningful and impactful for adults and it just does a lot of heavy lifting for for all the what is actually at stake and why everything unravels. Uh this movie does a really great job of being for absolutely everybody. It's yeah. fantastic. God.
1: Yeah, th- that's that whole scene in there too is perfect for establishing all of the characters too and and where they stand to to your point right so we have we have john who uh, he's the entrepreneur he's the he's the one who's like trying to build this thing right so he's 100 percent for it we have the insurance guy who's like oh my gosh i'm skeptical but if this works we can make a lot of money so he's just kind of like could be either way but he's like he's like i just got to make sure that this is this is right, you know, that this is, this is going to be safe or whatever. So he could be on, on the liability needs to be covered. <laughs> right, right. Which I think is an important dynamic, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's like puts pressure on John for this to go right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the scientists, you know, they could like it or not. That's not going to kill the park. Right. This guy could kill the park. And then you have you have Malcolm, who is 100 percent anti and vocal about it, like will not shut up about it. Right. He's like, this is the worst idea ever. And da. da, da, da. And then you have Grant and Ellie, who are also against it, but who they they pause in what they're saying because they're trying to process it because they are they're conflicted because their whole lives have been surrounded by discovering information and and a love of dinosaurs that's been their whole lives. So now, with the possibility of seeing them, of experiencing them in real life, like it it requires. It requires a pause and a, a letting Malcolm say all his piece right before they just come in and say, no, 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 because you want them, even though they say this is a bad idea, their reasoning is based in in science, not in in Malcolm's theory of evolution. And like, you know, like because he's he's the chaos theory guy, right? He's <laughs> just, like, you know, talking about, you know, I don't know all that stuff, but they're not coming from it from that point of view. They're coming from it from an archeological point of view of like, I know what they're capable of. Hmm. You know, Malcolm is saying you're raping the natural world. This is not evolutionarily, you know, accurate. And Grant and Ellie are saying they'll eat your face. This is not a good idea, but the the pause and allowing Malcolm to, you know, first off, you know, say why it's a bad idea in that regard. And then, Going to Mr. Going to Grant and saying, Grant, you're on my you're on our side. Right. And he has this pause. He And then he and then he goes quietly goes into saying why it's a bad idea. That is uh, that also establishes their like war internally of I'd still love to see a T-Rex or a raptor. Oh, my God. But it's a terrible idea. <laughs> and that scene establishes all of that in just a couple of minutes and is super engaging because of how heady the response is from malcolm and jeff goldblum i mean i gotta say this is one of my favorite performances that he's ever done yeah the way that he delivers the line that you just sh- shared is so perfect it he has these pauses these these yeah they didn't it's something what it, i think it was uh um they were uh they were so preoccupied with whether or not they did something <laughs> Right. He goes really fast (laughs) in some points and then he he pauses in the middle of a line before two before saying two words to end the line. The, The little things that make it a real conversation, like maybe you're thinking while you're speaking. And so when I speak to you, I might. Pause before saying. The next word. Right. That's a normal thing that wouldn't be in the script necessarily. Mm -hmm. And that's just how he delivers. Right. And it's, it's Jeff Goldblum. So he plays the same thing in every single role almost, but this is just so perfect for him. And, and it also establishes him as a little bit of comic relief. I mean, we've already had that establishment, you know, but it really solidifies him as the brain and the comic relief. Wow. That's a dynamic and, and, and important character. So you're thinking, oh, okay, I'm, I, as long as he's in the, on the screen, I feel a little bit safer. And so when he's hurt and he's not on the screen, you don't feel later on in the movie, you don't feel safe at all. I, you know, when he's hurting and and we're, we're following the kids and we're following Grant, I'm not, I don't feel safe at all. You know, Mm. anyway, that whole scene is just incredible.
0: No, I love that. And yeah, it's interesting. You know, we talked a little bit about acting last week, um, and performance and delivery. And there is so much, you know, script analysis and it depends on the actor and the, the, the project, it's all very fluid, you know, where you might do some, uh, uh dialogue analysis. And usually, you know, what, if you're going to do it, you probably start looking at it in terms of thoughts, like him having a thought and you might break it up, you, you know, if you're doing, uh, some some actual, you're in the script and you got your pen with you, uh, you might start breaking up the lines with a slash, right? Like this is a thought. What's happening in this line is really disconnected from what's happening in this next line. Or, you know, it's informing this next line. He's having this thought, it's interrupted, um, or he's, he's saying this thing and it's interrupted by a thought, which transitions into this next line. So for instance, if you're a commercial actor, you might break it up. You might a- analyze what your, your dialogue is based on, you know, who the client is, if you're doing a a voiceover read, for instance, for Jurassic Park, you know, and, and the line is, you know, welcome to Jurassic Park, you always want to put, you know, this is a, a hot tip for for my commercial actors out there, hot tip, you know, if you always want to bolden the client's name. And in this case, the client name is Jurassic Park. And so, you, you know, you, you want to say welcome to Jurassic Park, right? And it's like boldening it, emphasizing it, right? Uh, You wouldn't want to say welcome to Jurassic Park, right? Uh, Or maybe just depending on whatever's happening, but on average, probably not. You want the client to stand out. You always want the client to pop out. Similarly, you know, you, uh, if you're going through lines of dialogue and you have something important being said, uh, like Malcolm, right, Jeff Goldblum's having to deliver this uh, little line that's really emphasizing something. And so, if if he's gonna, you know, rush the the end of the line, you want to create a pause there to create space, and so and and also help emphasize each part of what he's saying. They're so preoccupied with whether or not they could. You know, uh, might be a good place to add a pause just so that you can resonate with that a little bit more or not. Or maybe you rush right through it so that it's all one thought. This is all one idea and you need to understand it as one idea because breaking it up might be the very way we get Jurassic Park in the first place, right? It's not understanding that this is all connected. And so all of that could go into script analysis, maybe a conversation with Spielberg or not. Maybe, you know, Spielberg's like, you do you. I trust you. And and the moment, it just comes out that way. Uh, I don't really know how Goldblum works uh, as an actor and how he does his analysis, but it's it's all fascinating and it can all deliver completely different things. Maybe you do five different takes using five different ways of analyzing it. Um, mm-hmm. And then in post, you can say, oh, man, I just really like this. I know we can't really break up all the all the words and hear everything, but I feel it. I feel what he's talking about and it echoes in my mind long enough for me to hear what he's talking about. Yeah. I don't know, but it's all fun. <laughs> I know that much. Um, so fun. So you said every time you watch this, it hits and you're on, you know, you're on, you're on the edge of your seat every time. So this to you still operates today, right? This was 30, almost 30 years ago. This is 29 years ago. It came out and I assume you like every other kid in America saw this probably opening weekend if not you know the next and yet you're still watching this today 30 years later with that
1: same level of excitement is it still does it still hit the same way it does it does for me it starts a story as we always talk about um, and I know I said earlier that the, that you know if if you don't believe that the the it, the dinosaurs are real. Then the story kind of falls flat, and I, I do I do subscribe to that. But the story just makes it that much better, right? So having both of those together is what makes this a timeless film that will never get old for me ever. Not there's so many other elements to it that uh, to this story that are not in others or that try to be in others, but but are just they feel like repeats of the same, you know, the same thing. So think about this. You know, when did this come out? Ninety? Ninety-five. Ninety-three. Okay. I, I remember driving. I remember I was in Galliston and I saw a billboard for it. And I thought, what is that? And it was just the, it was just the logo. There was no coming soon. There was no out on whatever. It was just, you know, the Jurassic Park logo. That was it on the billboard. And I was just enthralled. I could not wait. I could not, I was, I could not, imagine seeing dinosaurs on a screen right so this had never really been done this way before and it comes out and i'm thinking oh this is so it's going to be dinosaurs the whole time i mean it's a long time before we see any dinosaur i mean you know yes there's the opening shot of you know with the the raptor but we never see the raptor how great of an opening is that we're going to insta- we're going to show you danger without showing you the danger. So freaking brilliant. And to your and 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 to your point about all the little details they thought about the box and about how would you contain a raptor and and all that stuff, you can see that those are that those are thought about. But you could also see a scenario where if you had a raptor, an accident like that could happen. And so all the things that happen throughout need to be believable that those might possibly happen it's so many times in in either other versions of jurassic park or other movies that have dinosaurs or just you know like monsters in general these crazy weird things happen where you're just like really i, I mean already i know i'm in an unbelievable i'm watching an unbelievable film but when the thing that happens is less believable than the <laughs> unbelievable monster then you have a bad story right right and that that drives me crazy and that happens all the time, especially in movies nowadays where they're just trying to tell something new, right? L- listen, I I really feel like all the stories have been told. so don't try to reinvent the wheel. Tell like simple is so much more effective. Like you know yes, and and if you keep it simple, you might end up telling a story that hasn't been told. But if you try to tell a story that hasn't been told, you're gonna mess it up. Just anybody writing one, just know that, right? Start with the basics and then expand where you feel like it might, it might work or be necessary. And this Jurassic Park does that perfectly well. It, it, it's amazing. It t- gives you scenarios. It gives you problems. It gives you things that go wrong that could possibly happen. From a, from a, you know, I really want to show that this park is is safe. So I'm gonna have my grandkids come, right? That makes that makes sense. He believes this place. He believes in this the safety of this place, right? Oh, we're going to breed them all to be. What was it, female? We're going mm-hmm. to breed them all to be female. Well, they didn't think about, you know, some frog, some frogs that actually change sex if they need to. They that just didn't happen because they had never done this before, right? This is a new, new territory, new venture. And so, yes, that could go wrong and they could start, they could breed all of these scenarios. You don't think, ah, it's a little unbelievable that that scenario would happen. No, I, I could, I could see that. And the little touches of, of the first dinosaur they're supposed to see, they don't even see. How many times have you gone to a zoo and been so excited (laughs) to see the grizzly bear? We were just at the zoo yesterday uh, and so excited to see grizzly bear. And then it's out, it's not out. And so you don't get to see it. And how disappointing that is right now times it by a hundred because it's a damn right. dinosaur <laughs> you know anyway so i uh, yes it hits on all fronts there's a huge cost to it people are dying people that you don't think samuel jackson <laughs> gets it you know like it, it's it's yeah really really good nice yeah i i
0: completely agree i mean it's it does i think one of the things it does really well for sure, all the details, like even the, the the toenail tap that you were talking about earlier, the little talon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spielberg talks about that in that little clip that I watched. And he's like, he thought of it even as communication. Like he's one raptor's yes. communicating to the next. And it's just like, oh, I don't think that's ever occurred to me. Um, it always struck me as kind of a fear tactic or a, uh, just a nice, you know, embellishment. <laughs> right? It's just yeah. It's yeah. freaking cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, but I think, man, I'll, let me just run through some stuff because yeah, I, please, I feel like please. there's going to be I had some a lot really more to good... say too,
1: but I wanted to stop so that you could yeah, you like, can go through notes because it's going to be a two hour it. episode. Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. I'm just surprised
0: because I didn't wasn't sure if we had ever really covered this. Um, I knew that if we did a Spielberg dive, you can't not cover it, uh, but there's just so much here, more than I expected. I'll look at cinematography first Uh, there because it's very quick. The heli ride to the Island. There's this really nice shot that I love. Uh, It starts as a two shot uh, of Malcolm and John Hammond. And this is where Malcolm is hitting on Ellie. And he's like, Oh, uh, Dr. You know, whatever Ellie, I'm, I can't believe that you are not familiar with the laws of attraction, you know? And we, he, he makes his line, right. And then we pan and tilt to see her reaction. She just kind of blushes, right? She laughs it off. And then we push into Hammond as he's like, we're arriving or whatever he's saying, you know. Um, and it's just this really simple, efficient shot uh, because it's a shot that you could have done in three shots. Um, but Spielberg being the, the master, he wants to be very efficient uh, and and build a nice moment. And so it's on top of that really easy on the viewer, right? You don't have to feel the exhaustion of all these edits and remembering where you are within the space of the cabin of the, the helicopter. Instead, if we do it all in one shot, we can connect it. We can build it up a little bit more and have a nice finishing uh, punch with that, with that dolly in. It just feels better. Um, it's a better experience. And yeah, it, you feel present uh, a little bit more in the helicopter through that just very simple movement. Blocking, rehearsal, all that stuff. Overall, I think a lot of the camera moves are motivated, not all of them, but I feel like we rarely see the camera move on its own without any justification. Instead, it's often triggered by something in the scene, uh, even if it's not necessarily a move, right? Someone walking left to right, uh, sometimes it might be a character looking left to right or as what happens with Malcolm right before the T-Rex, right? he's He's been loaded up into the Jeep and now Ellie and uh, Muldoon are down looking for Grant and the kids. Um, we cut back to Malcolm in the Jeep. He looks down and we follow his gaze down into the, the footprint, right? The T-Rex left the footprints, got water. And we just, we don't know why we're moving until we land and see what he's seeing. And then we see the shock trimmer, right? With the water echoing the same thing with the cup echoing the the fear that we now have after that first experience, right? You weren't in the last tree. Well, you weren't in the last Jeep um, and it didn't go well. Um, and so that's motivated by his look. It's not just, oh, and this is something I feel like uh, uh, other directors, I was about to name one specifically, but I won't. Um, mm-hmm. Other directors tend to do it in reverse. They have the camera cue the action. Um, and that's not the way it should be where it's like, oh, this camera is moving, 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 moving. And now cue the, the the big roar. It's like, no. And now the character dies or whatever. It's like, no. And I'm not saying you can't uh, motivate a scene with the camera. Uh, you just have to be careful when you do it because when the camera isn't motivated... Uh, We're pushing in towards our characters to heighten the moment, like danger is getting closer. So the camera movement isn't just moving for the sake of it's beautiful. It's moving because it's kind of representing something that's happening behind the camera. Right. Uh, So, for instance, Grant is pulling the kids out of the Jeep. Right. And we go from a wide and we push in as he's pulling out Lex. Right. And that's when what's his name? Tim is caught. Right. His foot is caught under the seat. Uh, and that whole little section of them feeling like they're about to get suffocated in mud. That's a really great like five second moment of tension. Like that's stress because you kind of see like, oh, 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 no. And you can feel the the kind of panic of how deep are we going to sink into this thing? And so anyway, we go from this wide of the Jeep as he's pulling her out. We push in. And after, you know, we, we land, Lex we is now in a close up and she screams and so that whole move wasn't just the sake of we're going to push into a scream it was danger is creeping closer the T-Rex is now cre- creeping closer and it's it's representing that um and then of course once we get there we see that reality kind of reflected in her scream lex which i thought she, between the two kids i thought lex did a lot of the emotional lifting she did a really great job of representing the fear of the moment, uh, the tension and Tim, I, he did a good job of kind of being zoned out. Like he feels like he's just in shock the entire time. Whereas Lex feels like she's constantly on the edge of her seat, trying to figure out what's com- coming next. Tim feels like he's just trying to blink, right? He's just trying to, to move, which it fits both of their, their natures, I think pretty well. And so After the kids arrive, you know, rewind back to the beginning, um, when the kids get to the park itself and, you know, Hammond stands up from the lunch, oh, they're here. We're like, who, who's here? Well, let's cut to, (laughs) um, and now we're about to start our tour. Right. And I love it because there's this really nice one shot of Grant walking between the cars. Um, and there's some really nice camera tricks that they're pulling out here. Um, because we go from one side of the Jeep to the other side. Uh, and there's this really great shot, within this one um, that's just perfect. Um, and it's the shot where Grant gets out of the Jeep and we've, as a camera, we've pulled out of the Jeep and this is where he's kind of being attacked by Tim with all these questions, right? Oh, you're Dr. Grant. Like you can tell me all the, all the things and you really think they're birds, right? And he's just all up in his business. And I love the shot whenever they uh, crawl out of the je- Jeep because as we pull out, uh, the door opens and now we can see... Everybody, we can see Tim in the seat, we can see Alan to, you know, in the front, and we can even see Ellie through the crack of the window. And it's such a small sliver. Uh, If the camera's out of position, if she's out of position, we don't see her at all. Uh, It's just too narrow of a window. And it's so good, because She's very much invested in this and we want to be able to see her face and how she's uh, reacting because she's been teasing Grant about kids since we met them. And now he's interacting with kids again, which we'll get to that first interaction uh, because they do a lot of good things there. But that whole little shot, that sequence is so good. It's great camera work and blocking uh, by everyone, by the the camera operator and uh, Ellie. And uh, it's just executed perfectly because you got to do all that and get the performances it's not like you know you can just nail it uh one one out of three <laughs> you gotta get right. everybody singing together in harmony uh and so i just love little things like that and spielberg of course uh is, is the master yeah so right story and writing great opening scene as you noted and we do see those little kind of silhouettes and close-ups of the raptor's eye we never get a good Shot of them though, right? But even if you didn't have those little inserts, that whole sequence works without the raptor. It adding him in works even better. Uh, we'll talk about why here in one second. But I'm just impressed because this is a two two and a half minute sequence, and it's just a really great way to open. Right? We're here for dinosaurs, right? Everyone signed up for this movie to see some effing dinosaurs, so show us the dinosaurs, and so. Having within the first two minutes a glimpse is going to keep us uh, abated until an hour into the film when we really start to see the action. It also lets us see some real damage, right? This is a real threat. Our first interaction with a dinosaur is pretty final, right? A guy dies. He gets eaten uh, alive, as is pointed out by Grant in the uh, following sequence. And... It's just not a wasted opening, right? It has a real impact on the viewing experience as well as the story because this scene also propels the entire story forward. This is what triggers their visit in the first place. And so it's not just, oh, let's just have a cool scene. It's why are we here in the first place? This is why. We're going to show you why. And then the rest of the story is allowed to unfold. I love the the introduction to Grant and Nellie and especially the the sequence with the brat, right? The when Grant scares the kid with the talon, right. And uh, he just berates him. And I love Ellie's response afterwards. Why didn't you just pull a gun on him? (laughs) Like, (laughs) That's a great line. Um, And it's good, right? Scaring the brat with the Raptor is an, is an excuse to let us know about Raptors. We're going to now hear and understand about Raptors, which at the time was a pretty unknown dinosaur. You know, it's, it's, for for kids at, in in you know in the early 90s uh you knew about T-Rexes and when you thought about dinosaurs bigger was better right the triceratops was a badass and the the T-Rex is a badass right because he's the king of the jungle he's our lion we didn't really i mean we we kind of knew about raptors but we didn't really Love them or fear them. They were just like, Oh, it's smaller than a rex and it sucks. Like that was about mm-hmm. the extent. If you knew of Raptors at all, that was about the extent of it. Right. There were no Raptors that I can remember. Well, I guess there were in lane before time, but we didn't really hang out with them. And so Having this sequence, uh, this scene with this kid is a great excuse to let us know about raptors who are kind of, uh, if you had to pick a villain, they're, they're kind of the, the, the worst of the worst. And it also tells us how the T-Rex works, uh, right? The visual acuity. He'll lose us if you don't move around. But not uh-uh, right. That's not how raptors work. And so he's able, there's so much exposition happening here because there, we're learning not only about how the T-Rex operates, which is very important when we come to the T-Rex, which is reinforced in the moment. Um, So we have multiple levels of exposition and reinforcing of what are the stakes and how to operate with this particular dinosaur. They're not all the same, you know, and it also, of course, paints a really vivid picture of the danger of raptors right after having experienced a raptor kill. Right. And now this story makes that memory much more visceral because that guy was eaten alive. Um, he wasn't just killed and eaten. Um, and so we're experiencing this thing in like three different layers. The, uh, the, the memory, the projection of what could happen, as well as what this kid is experiencing in the moment. So there's the humor of it that keeps it light even uh, amidst all that. Of course, the other, you know, lifting that it's doing is uh, it develops Grant's hatred of kids. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now we have a really strong starting point for his character to have an arc. Because as we go throughout the film, uh, he now has to look after two kids, and we'll we'll dip back to that here in a minute. So then we, this whole movie is just beautifully structured and paced, man. It's it just really is
1: like a freaking <laughs> clock. As as long as you you keep talking, I'm like, oh yeah, because then that leads to it develops his character because he's trapped with the kid. Like it just it's so circular. It's so beautiful.
0: Beautiful. The science tour, we, you know, they they arrive at the park and we have that incredible moment. That's music and expression and just a slow reveal of the dinosaurs. Um, and they're like, well, like you said, it's just perfect clockwork, uh, perfect circle. Well, how how did how did you do this? Well, I'll show you. And then we go into the uh, the tour. We take a look at the the cartoon, right? The Mister DNA lesson, uh, and this is. I've heard other screenwriters talk about the scene and reverence because of just how smart it is. It's not in the book, but they needed a great way to explain to an audience how all this is possible. Cause you need that for the buy-in. If you're going to believe in a Jurassic park, you need to believe that it was scientifically possible and that there's a route to it. You can't just say, you know, we discovered a dinosaur egg and we thought it out and we hatched dinosaurs. Uh, that's going to be a strain, but Cloning and scientific method. Okay, this we can buy into. And this is such a smart one, right? It's a cartoon that's meant for children and it works. It works on actual kids in the audience and the adults alike, right? Adults might have the the ability to kind of push up their glasses like, yeah, of course, right? But they're learning just like everyone else, just like the kids, right? We're figuring it out uh, through this little silly over-the-top animation. It's beautiful, and then of course they break out of the guided tour, which is a microcosm of the park's problem, right? That you know mm-hmm. people can do whatever they want, which is wild. You think about like there's an electric fence five feet away from from tourists, <laughs> like
2: what? Yeah. Uh,
0: okay, but that's a whole other whatever. Um, <laughs> also, love in that little moment with the uh, the, anim- uh, the the tour. They start rotating around, looking at whatever scientists working. And there's this line from the lawyer that is just so freaking funny because he's looking at these uh, dinosaurs and he's like, are these animals uh, auto erotica? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, they're not animatronics. And that's so auto erotica is like mental masturbation to, you know, in some sense. And so I just think that's really funny because, you know, all of this movie and even maybe even this seg- segment is kind of a, um, mental masturbatory exercise of filmmaking and, you know, just writing all of it, you know, it's just there to, to stimulate your mind and whet your appetite. And so it's, it's really smart. It's funny. It's something kids didn't, I didn't pick up on it. I didn't know what he was talking about. Um, and so well done everyone. <laughs> um, For real. There's some nice little throwaway stuff that happens. They build a problem up really nicely. There's that line from Sam Jackson, Arnold, where he says dr Ham- or hammond i can't get jurassic park back online without dennis Nedry," and so now oh crap we need dennis Nedry, but he's trying to escape let's cut to Nedry getting killed <laughs>
2: right? yeah uh
0: so they don't harp on it right but it slightly adds tension because the solution that arnold says we need uh is now gone and so we need to uh find a way <laughs> So, <laughs>
1: we'll, uh, find a way.
0: and they also have all these other dialogue cues um, that are really there for the response, even though the cue itself is kind of nonsensical. There's this moment at the beginning when we meet grant and grant meets Hammond and Hammond is talking about, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a theme park built for kids and tourists alike. And, and grant says, what are those? He has no real reason in that conversation to say, what are those? Like, what is he inquiring about? It's not really clear, uh, but it's a really nice setup for Ellie's joke. Uh, miniature versions of uh, adults, honey. Um, right? She, he's building onto this idea that he hates kids and it's a nonsense setup, but a really fun payoff. And in a similar way, after the, the part breaks down, there's that scene where Hammond and Ellie are eating ice cream. Uh, well, he's eating, he's eating his feelings, and she's just kind of looking at him with pity and trying to convince him that he's, you know, screwed up. And they're having that argument, and he's like, "No, you don't under, you don't understand. When we have control, she goes into this, you know, monologue about we never had control. That's the illusion. Him saying we have." when we have control really makes no sense in the context of what he's trying to get out. I have no idea how that sentence was going to end, but it's just a setup that's nice and clean to express the problem. Like the problem is you thinking we have control. And the reality is we don't have it. We've never had it. We're never going to have it. And if you don't understand this, we're never going to solve the problem. And so, yeah, it's just a cue. It's nice and clean to help the audience, you know, hone in on, Here's where we're trying to get, and here's the point we're trying to make. yeah. And similar, unless they figure out how to open doors. This is a great yes. Oh great my God, cue. I love that line. It's so good because uh, we cut to right the, the door handle being opened. And I love this because without that line, we're kind of jumping the shark. Right. Suddenly they're operating. What are the next? Are they just going to hop in the Jeep, and like Mm -hmm. drive it down the road? And like the T-Rex is suddenly going to fly an airplane. Like, what are we really getting at? What's the limits here? Right. But setting that up, we now have audience buy-in because we've established this is an outlandish idea within the story itself. The characters themselves are saying this is ridiculous. And so it prevents us from seeing something ridiculous and scoffing at it. Because we have an odd advocate in the story, and so it's not something you can't see them open the door and then cut to her well, they'll never figure out how to open doors because we, we you've already lost the audience, but if you set it up well unless and and they set it up so well because it's arrogance it's you know condescension it's underestimating your opponent, and now. We can have the, 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 the barrier be passed by the villain or by the, the, the animal. Now it's such a good setup and payoff. You need it in that order or else you're going to lose the audience and say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, if the character's already calling it ridiculous, now we can have a little bit of uh, give and take, right? We we've been advocated for, and now we can be like, oh no, oh no. Right. It, it's, it's emotionally true. Even if it's still, you know, tangentially uh, ridiculous. And so, yeah, uh, dinosaur kills. We want to watch dinosaurs feast. <laughs> like you gotta have mm-hmm. it. Uh, so we need to serve up some disp- despicable characters, right? We we need to have a reason to want to see people die or be okay with it. I think the opening scene works because we don't know this guy. We just see an accident, and no one's happy about it. Uh, we don't really even see him eaten, right? Uh, we see it that's out of frame, and so. We don't connect with it. uh, And we also see the horror in Muldoon's face. And so in every way, it doesn't violate this feeling of uh, the horror of seeing someone die Um, because there is horror there, as opposed to you get later into the film and we see the, the lawyer, right? Abandon the kids. Well, Mm -hmm. let's feed them to the T-Rex. That's, that's a good reason. You can't eat the kids. We can't eat Grant or even Malcolm, right? As, much as he rides the line of being despicable yeah. um he's also on the side of the animals and so we can't violate this idea that he's actually kind of advocating for the dinosaurs in a, in his own way um and so having a lawyer though who's just selfish right he fine we can we can go with that and even hammond himself kind of cues it up right the only person on my side is the blood-sucking lawyer which by the way <laughs> i f- i didn't realize i've Never remembered him being Scottish until watching it this time. (laughs) I've seen this 20 times and I've never realized he's Scottish. Yeah. I thought it was. I didn't either, actually. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Right? It just kind of slides in there. Yeah. Um, And so Nedry also, right, gets violently killed. If we have a villain, um, we may not. uh, But I would say he would be it. Right? And so in some sense, because he's the reason this is happening it makes sense for him to be a casualty of his own uh, stupidity um, and, and greed, and so him being eaten is okay. It's slight, I wouldn't say it's necessarily therapeutic, but uh, we're okay with it. It doesn't violate us. We get to see it, a dinosaur eat. That's cool, um, especially after hearing how the eat. Right, uh, they blind you first with their venom, and then they they eat you. Uh, and so we get to see all the the way they hunt and all that kind of unfold. But on top of that. If all that wasn't enough, we also have Nedry threatening the the, the Delophosaur itself, right? I'm going to run you over when I come back down. (laughs) And I'm sorry, animal cruelty will not stand. (laughs) And so if we needed an extra layer of, okay, that was it. Um, Well done. That's a nice little extra, like, oh, well, you have it coming to you. Second to last is this whole genre of the film is man versus nature. This is very much a simple man trying to survive, right? And I think this is why this, the original succeeds where all the others fail Um, because there's only one big crazy idea in this entire movie. And it's that we brought back dinosaurs. That's it. The rest is just adventure survival, right? It's super simple setup and resolution. We're not exhausting everybody with all these crazy ideas. It's simply... Oh, cool. We brought back dinosaurs. Oh, no, we brought back dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Uh, get in, get out, right? We have a reluctant protagonist, right? Grant, who's stuck with these kids, yet rises to the occasion without a second thought. That's really nice that it, mm-hmm. he has this innate latent paternal instinct uh that kicks in uh the moment that that it's needed and you can see him even grow with that right he's stuck with these kids and it just adds a layer of heart underneath all of his heroics and his reassurances every time he steps into this uh you know paternal role the audience kind of sighs a little bit it's like oh right don't worry, I'm coming back. Uh, I'll stay up all night. Don't worry, I'll stay up all night. And he, of course he doesn't. He, he falls asleep. But it's really nice. Uh, there's that really nice moment where even he pulls out like, oh, oh, this thing is stabbing me. What is this? And he pulls out the talon. Uh, and it's reminding us of that that moment with the, the kid at the beginning and how like mean he was to him. And what does he do? He throws it away. Uh, and it's really beautiful too because he even has this line that... I guess we'll have to evolve too, right? Uh, Lex is asking him, what are you going to do now that you it doesn't make sense to do your job anymore? He's like, well, I guess we'll have to evolve too. And, you know, they have this little back and forth as he's still staring at his talon. And as the scene ends, he tosses it, right? Um, the thing that he used to keep a distance between him and kids, he's throwing away. Yeah, and,
1: s- and, and I w- if I could add just to that, it's really easy to, l- all these performances are just like, They exist now and they've existed for 30 years. So it's really easy to just look at it like, yeah, that's Grant. That this, his performance there didn't, didn't exist before he did it. And I think it's really important to remember that, that like a moment like that, you're just watching it. You feel like you're there because it was so good, right? The writing was so good. The delivery was so good. The evolution of his character from a I don't like kids to a I'm going to do I'm going to sacrifice my everything to, to keep them safe is is in the performance, not just in the in in the um, in the script. And so like just noting, you know, all the performances, but Sam Neill in that in that specific instance as something that didn't exist before. And he did it, you know, or Jeff Goldblum's performance is iconic now you know, and it always existed to us because it, you know, it's been around for 30 years, but it wasn't there before. And yeah. Anyway, just want to call that out because you're, it's a great point and it's so hard to do that. It's so hard to develop a character's to subtly develop mm-hmm. a character's uh, arc throughout an entire film, which how long, I don't even know how long they were filming, but it had to be for weeks. Right. Oh, yeah. At least months maybe. And, um and so like, to know that where you are in in the shooting process and what is his attitude and that's as much on the director as it is the actor but but it's just done perfectly for every character throughout this especially sam's
0: for sure i mean i would guess probably a six-month filming this is yeah you know there's so many complicated moving parts and i bet they spent at least a week just on the uh maybe, maybe even a month on shooting the T-Rex, attacking the cars. Like that's oh, yeah. so exhaustive and setting up every single piece and rehearsing. And do we have what we need? All that is probably just brutal. Yeah. And so him having that, you know, line, I think in that moment, guess what have to evolve too. is also noting that maybe he's evolving as he's, you know, shedding his past self uh, and growing into a new person. Uh, it's It's a nice little touch. I also love that the kids don't outsmart the Raptors, right? Uh, They get into the kitchen and they're, they're trying to, you know, just live and not get eaten. Uh, They come up with these little tiny plans and they fail. Their plans fail, Um, right? She gets into the dumbwaiter um, and her whole idea was, I'm going to hide here if it had succeeded, she would have died. Same thing with Tim. If uh, his idea of let me get to the freezer, if he had actually gotten into the freezer, he would have died. (laughs) Like there's, it just would not have worked out well. Uh, And so I love that they have these really epic failures that. don't necessarily rely, but because the, the aggressive nature of the Raptors works against themselves. Um, The fact that the Raptors won is how they lost right they they got to her and it it ended up being a reflection which is a great uh the first time i saw that i was freaked out um until it, it hit it and it's a beautiful brief moment of disorientation where you're just like wait what just happened and then the camera just pans to the left and she's now trying to crawl out and it's like oh it was a reflection yeah and so they do a really good job of everyone's doing their best and not everyone's succeeding, but some things work in your favor. Uh, and in this case, the, the, the aggression of the Raptors worked in their favor to a really nice degree. Uh, and throughout this movie, there really is no villain, right? The quote unquote villain Nedry gets himself killed. And so he's just there to set the park up to fail by man's nature of greed right? It's his, it's his greed that ultimately gets him killed, which is a nice reflection of the the embodiment of the park itself, right? There's almost a Testament to, to greed and hubris, I, I think is what Malcolm calls it. Um, that ultimately is the, what dooms it. Um, and that level of greed and selfishness is uh, to not pay Nedry a little bit more, right? Is why the park fails, pay your employees. And so, <laughs> um, what they're worth anyway. Uh, and I, I, think we can argue that he was worth a little bit more, <laughs> so. uh, probably billions more if, uh, if you look at the totality of it. But anyway, um, or at least redundancy. Um, and so the resolution, though, right, is just living is just escaping the island. We don't have a villain. And so what does it mean to win? Uh, it just means to escape. And what do we do? We we get on a helicopter, we fly away, cue the credits. <laughs> like, that's, that's our big finale is flying. You know, it's not killing the dinosaurs or the bad guy getting thrown to the T-Rex by the hero. It's just escaping. And that's all you can really do in a man versus nature scenario It's just survive um, and do it in a way that is exciting. Uh, yeah, I story-wise, it's just phenomenal. Um, and I think a lot of the sequels, are either trying to reinvent the wheel in weird ways, right? Uh, Let's make weird dinosaurs. Let's build weird things. um, Or it's just repeating the same beats and you can't do both. Once you kind of have the movie, you already have the movie. Like we already have Jurassic park. We don't need to have another Jurassic park. Uh, And so I wouldn't know how to revitalize this without switching genres in some way or another. Um, I think I had an idea of it last night and I didn't write it down. It's gone. So, uh, oh, well, uh, no. And Jesus wept. And so <laughs> <laughs> the, the other note that I had was the sound, uh, obviously the sound is phenomenal, but there's that sequence in the tree where they're climbing down from the Jeep, uh, that I thought was just a perfect w- thing to study about how to do an action sequence, uh, and ramp up, uh, the, the tension. And so we start. You know, that scene where he climbs up, he pulls him out uh, and there's a really nice secret cut that happens. Right. We go from inside the Jeep to below the Jeep. And now we're having the conversation like if they were going to have that conversation, it would have made chronological sense to have it right next to the Jeep after you climbed out. Nope. Instead. okay, we're, we're out and then cut to we're three feet below the Jeep. And now we're talking about, hey, I'm, I'm scared. I don't know if I can do it. And hey, you can do it. Don't worry. Don't be scared. Uh, let's just take our time. Let's go slow, right? They're queuing that up. And then, but in that whole sequence, we've been hearing the foley, the limbs snapping, vines tightening. And so the audience is already queued and like, you can't go slow. You can't go slow. And now they know it too, because there's this big snap and he looks up and looks down. He's like, go. And uh, they start climbing down and it's, Jeep starts falling and crashing, and the, we're still just audio, uh, sound, sound design. It's just limbs breaking and snapping and bam. And then finally, you know, it looks like they're about to get it, and it just lands on the branch. And that's when they cue the music, right? He does that big dramatic look. Go! And they start super fast climbing, monkey style. Um, and now we can feel the urgency, right? Because we cue the score. It's the, the strings stabbing and John Williams is just doing a masterful job of heightening all the moment. Cause now we have all these quick cuts, branches snapping. And now we have both, right? We can feel the urgency with both of these things, the music and the Foley in full action. If we started with the music, we'd have nowhere to go, but if you hold it back to build some momentum through the sound design, Then we have another gear to push into for even more excitement, right? Let's let's start with the the simple visceral stuff uh, because that's going to get our attention, right? We're stuck in a tree and as if the dinosaurs weren't enough to escape from now, we're trying to escape a a tree with a Jeep in it. Like this is a brilliant idea um, that is just executed to perfection. And so the sound is going to do so much heavy lifting. And then you can come in with this, you know, combo one, two combo, adding the music, and now we're really
1: off to the races. That's just brilliant, brilliant use of sound design. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, Everything so. about the sound in this film is timeless. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I I'd never even thought about the idea of holding back music, but it, it makes so much sense. And, I mean, John Williams, one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time. In fact, I'll probably he's, – he's not my favorite, but I would say he's the greatest. Agreed. You put him in, in different categories there but I mean there's any iconic um piece of music that you can think of from the late 70s until I don't know maybe 10 fifteen years ago is all him it's all it's all him he's got hundreds of Grammy nominations uh, and dozens of Grammys or I don't even know I think 20 some but it just just time the music itself is timeless but the use of it as a creative dynamic, um, engaging thing at like a piece of the actual film is just brilliant and is not used enough now. You know, it's, it's just, oh, we have this piece of music, put it in. And I don't think, I don't, I'm not simplifying the, that in general, you know, from directors nowadays, I think that, that it's, it's always pointed, but it's just perfectly executed here. And all all, also, what does a T-Rex sound like? What does a raptor sound like? <laughs> I don't know. They had to create that, right? They had to make it loud. They had to make it hurt your ears. you know, the kids like they covering their ears because it's so loud. Of course it would be. Of course, you know, the footsteps the 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 vibration, the you know, hearing it so subtly, and it just it's just so the sound is just perfect in this film. the the quiet parts are super quiet. So that the loud parts are, yeah. are like blaringly loud. it's, it's great. Great point. I grew up playing this music in band. Um,
0: mm, okay. So for years, years, we played this during marching band and my, my band teacher got there. I was in high school band from seventh grade until I graduated. So whatever that is, uh, six years. And we started getting ones, um, uh, which, you if you get ones in marching, ones in you know concert, and ones in uh, sight reading, then you get what's called sweepstakes. Um, it's just kind of an award that says, hey, you were flawless this year. Now, we were 2A, wow. so the standards are probably a slightly lower than if you're 5A, for instance, because the talent pool is less. But we had a really big band for a really small school, and so we could play Jurassic Park. And I want to say it was even Jurassic Park was our first time um getting ones and and marching band and my so my my seventh grade year my first year uh was the first year we got sweepstakes and i think he's gotten sweepstakes every year since so like 24 years in a row of getting of dominating just dominating you know the the high school music scene and so and I want to say it started with Jurassic Park, which is pretty cool. Um, I can still remember some of the formations. Obviously, being a trumpet, I played trumpet and playing Jurassic Park on trumpet is freaking cool, man. Because <laughs> uh, you I get the cool imagine, stuff. Right? You get the best stuff. It's, <laughs> bum, 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 bum. it's the greatest. Yeah. And so I have a lot of great memories around Jurassic Park between going to the theater, playing the music, just geeking out about it. even years later, um, like, I don't know, two or three years after this came out and I was meeting new friends and I was still able to meet new people and geek out over this movie. Like it just had cool. so much staying power. Freaking amazing, <laughs> man. Yeah, it really <laughs> is.
1: It's big where it needs to be big. It's small when it needs to be small. It's supportive when it needs to be supportive, you know, but it's not John Williams' job to make the movie. It's his job to make the, the music that tells helps tell the story and it's the director's job to put it in where it needs to be put in. Uh, And the way it needs to be put in. Right?
0: I will say, I I wouldn't mind if this, similar to Lord of the Rings, uh, there's a couple of movies, a few movies maybe, that could use and benefit from a VFX master, remaster. um, Mm -hmm. Because the stuff that they built looks amazing. Even some of the stuff that's, like all the T-Rex scenes at night, incredible. Like, they don't need to touch a single frame. Some of the stuff in the daytime, though, could really use a refresh. And even though I wouldn't say it hurts the experience, I think it would, you know, enhance it a little bit, as well as probably make a ton of money. Like, I'm really surprised they haven't done a, a VFX remaster of this yet. And I think it would pay dividends. Like, it still looks unbelievable. Like, I'm watching the the T-Rex right now take on the Raptors. And, by the way, uh, you know where this, the T-Rex comes from. It's screen right. I think. Uh, we've been saying screen left for the last, you know, a oh, hundred years, 90 Ten years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's oh, actually great. screen, well, right. But, uh, eh, they get the idea. Uh, yeah.
1: Whatever. It comes from out of frame.
0: Correct. Uh, that's oh, how yeah. I feel. Every episode, every episode I'm editing and I'm like, oh, Wes, you said this, you meant that. Um, or oh. I wish you would have, you know, expounded on that a little bit more. Uh, so every, welcome to my world. That's 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 what I do. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Any other final parting thoughts, memories, uh, fond moments?
1: Nothing. Nothing to add that would ever that would add sustenance. Just my love for this film. I mean, I, I, you know, if you if you try to think of a of a perfect movie, you know, you you put you lump in things like two thousand one. You lump in, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, good, the bad, and the ugly. Like there's like you know, classic, classic, amazing films, and then. You know, once you start getting into modern films, you you. it's hard to think of what you might consider to be a perfect movie. And I, I wouldn't necessarily call this perfect, but it's about as close to perfect as I think that you could probably get. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, and because and, we're talking about this film 30 years later. And 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 in that discussion, we haven't said anything that we would have changed, other than what you just said, which is, you know, VFX could use a little refreshing. But not even the night VFX, the day VFX, because the night VFX, I would argue that the T Rex at night, there is no better VFX ever that has ever been done. I agree, agree with you. I completely agree with you. Like there, it's it is. This is from '93. <laughs> and there has never been a piece of vfx that i have looked at and said that's better than the t rex at night never so we're being very specific by saying it could use a refresh in this section in, in these types of shots you know so like the brontosauruses you know mm-hmm. during the day and and stuff yeah those could use some refreshing for sure but if you think about this that had never been done and it was 30 years ago uh, it's pretty unbelievable And when we're talking about story and when we're talking about acting and when we're talking about development of characters, cinematography, there was nothing out of that exposition. Holy crap. This is this is the best exposition I've ever seen in any movie. I never felt felt Hmm. spoken to. You know what I mean? Like. Like, uh, I never felt like I was being handed information that I that I didn't earn or need that wasn't applicable to the characters in the story at the time. It was all it was all in conversation Mm -hmm. and and either argumentative or just just questioning, you know, like one one person is asking another person a question that he probably he or she probably wouldn't know the answer to. And so is now getting the answer. A perfect example, chaos theory. Ellie had never, she'd never heard of chaos theory. So obviously she needed it to be explained to her. So there was a little moment where Malcolm gets to have with her, right? And they go, oh, is the water on the hand? And we get to know what chaos theory really is, right? And then, but it's not handed to us as to why that relates to the story even. You just kind of absorb it into anything could happen, you know, into the story. So it adds a little bit of element of chaos into the situation that they're in brilliantly done, not necessarily even needed, but given. And it's, it's a perfect example of how to do exposition that doesn't make me as a viewer feel like an, like I'm being treated like an idiot or put me in a situation where, Oh, I'm this care or put a character in a situation where they're asking a stupid question for stupid reason And should know the answer anyway. Like, no, you know, she's a paleontologist. She doesn't she's not going to know about that. But he is because he's a brainy dude. He's not going to know about dinosaurs because he's, you know, a brainy dude that has no idea about dinosaurs. So she will. So then immediately after that, when they when they find the the Triceratops and he's sick and he's she's like going through the shit. He's and he's just like oh my god I don't even know and she's all of a sudden smart again you know like smart about that situation it it's so perfect uh, that I it's it's hard to think of any other film that does it any better agreed I guess that's the last thing I would add would just be that it would like you know take note you know filmmakers from now on like this is go to Jurassic Park if you are if you are questioning how to get a piece of information across
0: yeah because they it's it really is you know special because this is only a two-hour film they didn't feel the need to stretch it to two and a half you know in order to give you more bang for your buck it was just let's get in let's get out let's be efficient and like you said every piece of exposition is there to serve a purpose to deepen the world to expand the audience and to make you understand why what's happening is what's happening because it's it's it is chaotic, you know, and that's the result of, of dabbling in these areas. And and this is a really good case of the movie is better than the book. Like I read. Oh, this at, yeah.
1: Great. great point. You know?
0: <laughs> like I I loved Michael Crichton as a kid. I read a lot of his books. I read like four or five of his books. And he had this really big habit of just coming up with incredible ideas with that. He executes incredibly well. And then just could never finish his books. Um, my my dad, uh, my biological father, um, had had this theory because um, I, I got a lot of his books from him and he had this theory. It was like, you know what I think he's doing? I, here's what I think happens. He comes up with a really good idea and he gets you know, two thirds of the way through and as he's getting close to ending the book, um, he comes up with another really good idea for another book. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he has to just finish this book so that he can get onto this new idea. And that's why you get these crap endings and uh, Jurassic park. I, you know, it's, it's close. I think in the book, it ends with the park being burned down. Like it gets napalmed. I think a few more people die. Uh, they also have a few more dinosaur characters. Uh, I think there's like a, a smaller, Junior T-Rex um that does its own bit of damage. And obviously you just didn't need it. And they did a great job of cutting out things you don't need. And I would say of all his books, this was probably the the closest to having a really good ending built in. But the others, man, I read a lot of his others, like Congo and Sphere and and some others, but and they just always were like, Man, how's this gonna end? And it's like, oh, I wish I would have skipped the last 20 pages. That was a bad idea. (laughs) Um, And so not just because, you know, someone wrote the book doesn't mean that they knew how to resolve it. Um, Right. And this is a really good case of Spielberg probably coming in and saying, okay, let's, let's trim the fat. Um, Let's find out what do we really need? What, what story are we really going to tell? And adapting, you know, Movies is its own thing. Uh, you can't, what works on the page doesn't work, you know, usually on the screen. Um, books tend to take advantage of a lot of the internal lives of characters and that kind of thing. Whereas films, uh, we we don't spend any time, usually, you know, unless there's a lot of voiceover and imbibing someone's internal life. Uh, and so you just have a, a different master to serve, so to speak. And so just a great, you know, example of. Uh, the movie, taking the book and making it better, graduating it to something that everyone can experience and then doing it incredibly two hours. This is a two hour, six minute film. Um, And probably eight of those minutes are credits, you know, Uh, and it's just really, really tight and concise, well-paced, well-structured. If you look at everything that happens, almost nothing happens. Almost nothing happens in this movie. (laughs) They, they get to the Island, the ride breaks down the escape And they get out like that's that's about the extent of it. Uh, There's just not that much that actually happens. There's a few big sequences um, and those sequences really flesh out, you know, the danger and and the moments and uh, give each creature its own breath. Right. You want to have time for the T-Rex to be its own character and the raptors to be their own character. And of course, to throw them together like just a really well-structured film, uh, really well-paced and just masterful and This will still be good, I think, and relevant in another 30 years. Like, it's, it's, I would be surprised how many kids probably, you know, still watch this film. I I would imagine a lot of kids probably still enjoy this film. Um, But I don't know. That's, you know, I guess more Todd territory, but. I don't know if you, your kids, yeah. are a good example of the common kid, <laughs> like because <laughs> you're a film nerd. Like, Great hey, point. shut up, sit down, and watch this. We're gonna watch yeah, yeah. the 1932 cut
1: of <laughs> Monte Cristo. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yeah, good, good, good point. Uh, <laughs> oh. my, I mean, my my kids, they love movies. Have we watched this together? I don't think I've shown them this.
2: Um, it, it's dicey.
1: How because, do you feel about it? Yeah. Yeah, it, you know, because there. You no, know, I have. I don't know what I'm thinking. Of course, mm. I have. I've I've watched this, and Simon loved it. The Charlotte didn't. I didn't let her see. You know, a lot like some parts or whatever. But, but Simon just loved it and was giddy about it. Couldn't believe how good it looked and everything. And, and he's very he's very like he he can tell when it's bad animation or bad CGI or whatever, and he doesn't like it. He can't tell you why, but he just doesn't like it. I've even pointed out the, you know the um the motion plus thing on TVs that come on that set on, on all HD TVs. Now that I purposely go out of my way to turn off and every single TV that I find that has it, he can, he can see it. Both of both my kids can see it. Now there's so many people that cannot see that. And it drives me freaking crazy. I like I have, it drives me so crazy that I have to stop and say, point it out. I have to say, okay, watch this. Okay. Just keep, keep that feeling in your brain. Now I'm going to turn it off. Now watch it. And you could see their eyes light up like, oh my God, my eyes have been opened. It's like a magic eye, one of those magic eye things where there's, it's a bunch of dots and there's a, there's a picture in there somewhere. And if you look long enough, you'll find it. That's exactly what it is. And he sees it. We talk about that all the time. So he, he notices, you know, bad CGI and bad animation. And, and he absolutely was blown away by it. He was on the edge of his seat by it. that's cool i've seen it so many times and i think i've watched it three times probably in the last two years so (laughs) so um (laughs) i forget if i've watched it with him because we watch a lot of movies together
0: that's so cool oh nice um okay i think we can hit eject uh this is there's a lot there's a lot here nice what do you uh what are you going to recommend this week
1: this week i'm going to um i'm going to recommend an older film older than jurassic park but Timeless, nonetheless, that I could watch over and over and over again. Uh, Back to the Future, uh, which is, I can't believe that we haven't recommended this yet. I went through and looked just to make sure, but great soundtrack, fun story, enough exposition, but not too much to, you know, have some good explanation. Great, um, like one of the best ending, endings into a sequel that you'll ever see right Uh, to me right Uh, so much fun to make you on the edge of your seat i cannot wait for the next one kind of thing out of nowhere things have just great great movie (laughs) michael j fox is on point um they actually didn't cast him at first they cast Mm. someone else and then pulled him in when that wasn't working which saved (laughs) i mean everything uh just a wonderful, fun film that I, I think still holds up today pretty well. Yeah, they originally cast uh,
0: Eric Stoltz. Um, that's right. That's yeah, right. I forgot his name. He was coming but off yes. of The Mask, yeah. Uh, which sucks, but, you know, sometimes it's just not working. It's not his fault, you know? Well, of course, of it's course. It's
1: just yeah. Michael J. Fox. It's just,
0: just his movie. That's just Michael J. Fox's movie. That's the way it yeah, is. sometimes. Yeah, and
1: I think he, like, had to, he had to, I don't know if he was filming Family Ties at the same time. And or he had to pause family ties for a while to do this or or something. But he was doing family ties at the same time. And I can't remember if he oh,
0: wow.
1: one of them he had to pause to do the other. And I think he had to pause family ties or something. Or maybe he was filming family ties and this at the exact same time and had to go from one set to the other. Something something like that. But that's why they couldn't get him at, at first, or they were worried about not being able to get him because of family uh, ties. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
0: I'm gonna recommend a show on Hulu. It's called The Bear. You are you are who have we not recommended the bear? We didn't. What we did was I told everyone we had a Patreon bonus episode on the oh, bear. And so y-
1: you sneaky little <laughs> yeah. bastard.
0: Sneaky little bastard. That's my favorite show right now. So good. Like it's just a it's a little intimate drama. Um if you haven't watched it, you know, I think it's worth even just a temporary subscription on Hulu, uh, just to watch it. It's probably my favorite show that's come out this year. Um, I don't know if you feel the same, but I do. Uh, it's just absolutely really just a wonderful, uh, view uh, inside a a kitchen, um, with really interesting characters, great performances, some of the best uh, camera work I've seen on a TV show ever like it's so good um best
1: editing i mean editing is amazing too great point
0: amazing um and some of the stuff they do with the story i'm just really impressed with when you think about what most tv shows do that they didn't do Uh, and it's hard to go into it too much without getting you know spoilery but yeah i'm just really impressed with the, the writing and everything about it uh the bear on hulu Is absolutely worth it. It's short. It's like what eight episodes. Um, you're yeah,
1: you're in. You're out, and they're like thirty minutes. Yeah, that's right. Super long. What's funny is it's listed as a comedy,
0: which is not. I mean, there's
1: there's some comedy in there. Yeah, I guess, but I don't know why they listed it as that. (laughs) Right. So yeah, check
0: that out. Nice. So stay tuned for next week. We continue down the Spielberg road with Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. We'll see what that old uh, uh rat scallion is, is is up to there so yeah if you're enjoying the show don't forget to subscribe drop us a review leave us a note if you want us to cover something and if you want to comment on this episode you can do that at the PestlePodcast.com slash jurassic park
1: and wow our quote of the day um wow this is a heavy it's a heavy one uh and it's perfect for this film but because of who it's from uh this is very interesting I uh, almost feel weird reading it. Uh, a quote of the day is from Robert Oppenheimer. Great selection here. It is a profound and necessary truth that the deep things in science are not found because they are useful. They are found because it was possible to find them. <laughs> Where did you find that? So oh, my God. Watching this movie, something interesting happened.
0: Um, I'm not good with faces, but sometimes the stars of the line and I I, I recognize a thing but it also takes a lot of googling so there's a shot when we're watching Arnold deal with this and that and at the edge of the frame there's a, a picture of Oppenheimer and I wasn't sure if it was Oppenheimer but what kind of gave me the the clue was there are two sticky notes on his face. One of them is in quotes, uh, a quote that says the like the beginning of the baby boom. And then on the other sticky note is a a little thought bubble coming up from Oppenheimer's face uh, and and inside the thought bubble is a mushroom cloud. Wow. And so it's making a joke about baby boomers and, you know, the boom generation um, of technology that we discovered. Uh, And that's just a really nice can of worms that's just subtly inserted into the film. Obviously subtly. I've never noticed that once in the 20 viewings. Yeah, yeah. Um, and suddenly they're making, I realized, uh, an analogy between the discovery of nuclear technology and the way that it was used, right? Um, we created this really amazing thing that to, to a lot of people, me included, should be used to make us greener. Clean energy through nuclear technology, and instead they they used it to destroy thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. And so, hearing Oppenheimer discuss about this very thing that Malcolm in in the movie is talking about, right—the the the idea that you were so focused on overcoming and creating that you never stopped to say what are what is in Pandora's box? What are we going to unleash into the world? And I love that. I love that kind of contrast of Oppenheimer and his feelings towards the nuclear bomb and Hammond and what he's creating, because it takes Hammond until the very end before he realizes this is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Hmm. But we do that. We do that. And, and sorry, I'll just one last comment. Yeah, please. We it's frustrating as a civilian looking at, you know, the way technology gets invented and used because Especially, it seems, you know, and there there are quotes that, that, you know, uh, confirm this, that the creation of a weapon necessitates its use. Mm. Like, why did we make it if we're not going to use it? The point of a weapon is to not use it, is to garner peace, right? It's not to pull it out at every chance you get as an excuse to see a a bottle rocket, right? That's not what we're dealing with here. Uh, This is devastating technology. And we, we wave it around um, as uh, Malcolm said, uh, right? Like a a kid who found his dad's handgun, like you, you just have no respect for it. Um, And that's, just a beautiful kind of amalgamation of ideas that Malcolm is throwing around and, and Spielberg as well. Um, cause if you factor in Oppenheimer and World War II and Spielberg's relationship, uh, to World War II, it's, it's all kind of just, uh, saying a lot very quietly.
1: Yeah. And the, uh, man, I had something and then I, I lost it cause Sorry. I was going into thought about what you were saying, <laughs> saying but, but, um, yeah. I, I'm just going to leave it at that then, because uh, I, I don't think I could say anything better than that. I think the only other with, with, with weapons, you get power and people are, are not to be trusted with power. Um, and that's, uh, I don't, I don't think that necessarily, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe in in a way, you know, just having it is, is the point, right? Mm-hmm. Like of why people even have it. It's, it's, Something like a bomb like that would. Uh, I it's, don't know. It's I don't complicated. Know. I, can't add know any, any, I can't add anything to it because I, <laughs> I there's nothing to be added to. That's, right. a, that's a great point.
0: It is. It's just it's complicated. We know it's complicated. Um, and there's a lot of voices in the discussion that will raise objections, and uh, rightly so. Um, and I'm not you know trying to deny any of that. I I realize it's complicated. I to to your point and my point. I uh, I think what we're saying is. More often than not, the arguments get lost in favor of doing the brash thing. Mm-hmm. Hammond may have had a, a really good intention, uh, he, but he didn't do the right thing. Whatever that would have looked like probably would have been a more open and honest conversation in the scientific community that he just never engaged in. The fact that these paleontologists who work for him. Are showing up having no idea that of what he's created, it's probably not a good sign for the transparency that he was undergoing when doing such a transformational, you know, thing.
1: And it, it, it it's like the TARS reference 100% honesty is <laughs> right. not always the best form <laughs> of communication right. with, with emotional beings 100% <laughs> yeah. power is also mm. not the best course of action with emotional beings. We are emotional beings, we get upset, we get angry. We get um, uh, sad, and we do things in moments that should not be done because of emotion. It happens every day with every single one of the of every single person on this planet. So having a something like a bomb like that, or just a you know a weapon of mass destruction of any kind, not not the best thing. Anyway, what uh, I mean, he did a lot of work after to to you know try to mitigate what happened whatever too little too late you know i would i would i would say you know it's the, it's, well i'm not going to reference interstellar again <laughs> um <laughs> monstrous lie uh okay we're gonna end it here thank you guys so much I, I could talk about this quote all day this is fantastic and that's the point of these things right yeah, to, yeah. to to raise questions and raise conversation yeah. i i love that we did this this week uh Great, great way to start off our Spielberg September. Uh, Join us next week We'll be doing Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark I'm very excited about that too Like Wes said, please subscribe, review us uh, Anywhere you get your podcasts And recommend us to friends It all helps, it really does And if there's a film we haven't done in 204 episodes That you'd like to see us do, please recommend it Who knows, maybe we'll do it and we'll call you out Thanks for joining, until next week I'm Todd. I'm Wes Go watch the movies